let's have a go, see what happens here. Let's pray first. Almighty and merciful God, for your mercy's sake, keep us far from all that opposes you, that unhindered in body and soul we may serve you with hearts set free. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Now you never quite know what's going to come, but that's a helpful sort of prayer, that we would uh, be saved from things that are opposite God, and that in that we would find freedom. That's a very odd idea for us, that somehow... We're most free when we're bound by the things of the Lord. And we normally think of being free as, I can do anything I want. The very first story of Scripture is, that's not true. So I'm not most free when I can do anything I want. I am most free when I'm bound by the Lord and His Word, by the Lord and His will. I am most free when I am bound. And that, of course, is what's being prayed here. Keep me far away from, from the things that oppose you, so that unhindered in body and soul, so free in body and soul, I'm most free when I'm far away from evil, that I serve you with a heart set free through Christ our Lord. That's actually great stuff. Okay, uh, I, got a, I did a couple of things. I, 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 it strikes me that these texts are so weird that I, I needed to write a bit of a, a summary, and that's what I've done that's the new thing that you have today, and we'll do that in just a second. But uh, first, we probably will need to, to finish up with what's on this sheet. So does anybody need the sheet from last week that says Leviticus, the personal family burnt offering? Anybody need that? Just raise your hands. I'll do this. Will you help me? Can you? Thank you. Thank you so much. Raise your hand if you need one. It's, it's, it's the best if you do. And while they're doing that, flip your Bible open to Leviticus. One, and uh, I mean, I know this is weird, but I, but I also know that this is part of, part of the scripture. Now, you're getting, there are, very interesting, uh, there are very interesting comments coming back to me, so I'm very, and I'm very grateful for that. The range of them have been uh, things like, you know, from why, why can't you eat the fat, why can't you drink the blood, to uh, what about stoning people, which happens later, to... Uh, what about Christ? Is he really in the Old Testament? And so we need to engage all of that. And to be an honest, you know, to be an honest reader of the text, you read the text first, and then you try to sort it through. So here's where we are. There has been a tabernacle established. It's a tent where the Lord promises he's going to meet his people. And he's doing one thing in that tabernacle. He's trying to close the gap between him and them. That's really the, that, that's really the only thing that's happening. There's, there's lots of other things that rejoice in that, but all he's trying to do is close the gap between uh, himself, he's holy, and you. You're not. You need more? Or did you, is that a, anybody need one yet? Leviticus, anybody need one? So all the Lord is doing is try to close the gap and then he says to, to, the, to, to the Israelites, okay, here's the way that we're going to close the gap. And this is Leviticus 1, and I just want to read you about eight verses, okay? The Lord called to Moses. He comes to him. He makes the first move. He speaks to him from the tent of the meeting. He says, speak to the people, say to them, when a man of you brings an offering to the Lord, you shall bring your offering of the cattle or the herd or from the flock. And I'm just going to read the first one just to uh, make sure that you're acquainted with the weirdness of this. 
If his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, so if he chooses, it just means if he, if he chooses uh, 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 some, one of the cattle, he offers a male without blemish, so he brings his best. He offers it at the door of the tent of the meeting, and you remember that on the last page, there's a map, and the door is defined from the place you go in forward to the first altar. That's all the farther you can go. So about the first 25 yards, you know, you can go to the 25-yard line, you can't go any farther. So you bring one of your cattle, the best one, unblemished. You come to the door, you can, which, and the door means you can come as far as the altar, that he may be accepted for the Lord, by, by the Lord. Now, how do you know the Lord is going to accept it? Because it's the Lord who's telling you what to do. Okay? He'll lay his hand on the head of the burnt offering. This one's mine. Who's, who, whose cow is this? This one's mine. And it'll be accepted for him to make atonement for him. This cow is going to stand in my place. Then he kills the bull before the Lord, and the killing is done ritually by slitting the throat. You can regularly see this kind of thing happen all over the place. In fact, my daughter just saw it in, in, uh, in her high school, you know, ninth grade social studies class this week. They showed a film of somewhere of, of animal sacrifice going on in, in one of the religions of the world still today. You can still pay money to see, uh, the, you know, to take the tour up to Mount Gerizim in Israel and see the Samaritans uh, celebrate the Passover by uh, cutting the neck of the, uh, 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 of, uh, of the goat. So, you know, this is still around, but you, you, you cut it across the juggler. And Aaron's sons and the priest, now see, this is, uh, the priest is there. You can go as far as you can go, and then the priest uh, does what he does. Everybody does what, what they're supposed to do, just like here on Sunday. Everybody does what they're asked to do. Kills the bull. The sons present the blood. They throw the blood about the base of the altar. Okay, verse 6. You cut it up, put it in pieces, uh, put it on the fire, lay it on the wood, and then you uh, burn it up, head and fat, and legs and, and insides, but after you've washed them. And, and you know, the sense is that you, you take the intestines out, you wash them all. What? Make them clean. You know, it's going to the Lord. You take the legs, there's a symbolic thing, you take the legs because that's the dirtiest, dustiest part. If you've ever been around a herd of cattle or a herd of sheep, you know they're dirtier from the hip down than they are from the hip up. So you wash them up, you know, perfectly clean, that's not what you're aiming at. You're aiming at, we're doing something spectacular here, and this is what the Lord bids. So you cut them up, you wash it with water, and then the, the sort of the punchline, the priest shall burn the whole on the altar as a burnt offering, an offering by fire, a pleasant odor to the Lord. And there's two things to ask there. One, you know, does the Lord like the smell of a good steak? I mean, that's, that's part of the question. You know, well, it's not so much, uh, it's not so much that as um, the Lord has, what pleases the Lord, with the burning comes the smell. At the burning point, it means that you've done all that the Lord has bid. So it basically works like this. You do what the Lord has asked you to do. When you do it, there's a result. When the Lord sees the result, he's pleased. Why? Because now he's your God and you're his person. Now, that should run all sorts of bells and whistles off for you as a Christian. Later, when Jesus says, if you're going to be a disciple, get baptized, 
It pleases the Lord immensely when you are. If the Lord says you make a disciple by preaching the gospel to them, teach them, the Lord is pleased immensely when the lost are found. If the Lord institutes the Holy Supper and says, do this over and over and over again, the Lord is actually pleased when he sees you at the altar because you're doing what he bids. Not because of what you're doing, but because you are living within his grace. Okay? And then the second bit was, and this was deftly pointed out by somebody last week after class, I, I sort of left you by asking, this is, this is an odd sort of sacrifice because everything gets burned up. There's nothing left. The whole shot. It'd be like, you know, and I said this to you and you were sort of quiet and then I thought, hmm, they're sort of quiet. Uh, it'd be like putting a pile of money on the floor and burning it. And that, that, that may strike you as very odd. And then one of you was clever enough to have, have read your Bible and say, what's well, just like when the woman came and uh, broke you remember the, she, she broke the bottle of perfume over Jesus, anointed him toward his death. And then the disciples kvetched about that. Well, you know, we could have we we sold that for money and given it to the poor after we took our cut. See? And then the Lord says, she's done a marvelous thing. And see, somehow that disattaches us from our money, from our possessions, from our things. Somehow it helps us understand that everything belongs to the Lord. Somehow that helps us. So we might just sort of bear that in mind going forward. So there's the text. Now, if you could sort of spin on the outline from last week, that's the really long one. If you could sort of spin to point seven, maybe that's where I, I will, uh, I'll start. I know there's a lot of stuff written here. Uh, do what you will with it. But the, the point is, what good is all this? Now, first you have to take the text on its own terms. And you, and you all, especially you all who have been in the church a long time, uh, you're so used to being acceptable to God. It's almost, uh, it's almost more difficult in some ways to be an old Christian than a new Christian. New Christians drive you nuts in a great sort of way because they get all excited about the fact that the Lord loves them just the way they are and the Lord will accept them. People who have sort of grown up in the church, they, they often don't really understand. I mean, for them, the gap has always been closed. For people who have grown up outside the church where the gap is this wide and there's no way for them to get across it, you know, to be brought to baptism or to the supper or into belief is a huge deal. You know, it sort of never leaves them. They get so excited about it, they're always talking about it, and, and older Christians sometimes want to kind of stay back from them. They, they just seem so odd. I try to remember what the people of Israel have been through at this point. They have been redeemed from a place where they were slaves, where they were considered animals, where they had no possessions, where they had no land, where they had no lineage. They were not a people. And now the Lord has drawn them out. And the first thing they do is backslide a bit, that golden calf thing in Exodus, you know, 32-ish. And then the question is, how is the Lord going to close the gap? And the answer is, he's going to close it in this way. So, what good is all this? This is point seven. Do this, and the Lord accepts you. 
The Lord is giving his people a way that they can meet him and still live. He graciously engages you. He does the same thing to you. You know, the story of Jesus is God giving you a way that you can meet him and still live. You remember how from time to time, Mount of Transfiguration, for example, or when people were exceedingly sinful, or the centurion who, who said, you know, don't even bother coming to my house, just speak the word. You know, what was the problem in all those cases? That they felt as if they were not accepted. And the Lord then always does his best to gather them in. What the Lord wants to do is to close the gap between you and him. He wants to accept you, to bring you close. And that happens, this is the next big point, by way of atonement. You know, what should happen, if you sin, then you die. That's sort of the law of the universe. If you sin, then you die. You die for your own sins. That's fair. The fair thing is, if you sin, then you die. That's also the law. You never want a fair God. A fair God gives you what you deserve. You do not want that. You want an unfair God. You want a God who will find another way for you. And the answer is, somebody, something valuable needs to die in your place. You all believe this deep down. Uh, You may not believe it at church, but I've been in enough hospitals to know that when people are in grave pain, they will pay anything to make it stop. Uh, The boy that, and I would appreciate you if you keep this in in your prayers, uh, the boy that we put on the prayer list, Kirby and I put on the prayer list this, t- this day, is a personal friend who uh, broke his neck in a gymnastics accident four years ago. He was not paralyzed, but he has been in ceaseless pain for four years, from the age of 18 to 22. It is unbearable for him. He would do anything to make the pain stop. In the same way, when you are ill, you would do anything, you would pay any amount of money to be cured. I know that because I've t- spoken to all sorts of people who have medical bills in the hundreds of thousands of dollars who have no idea how they could pay them, but they took the treatment anyway. See, physically you understand this. You understand physical pain. The trouble for us is that we do not have such a sensitivity to spiritual pain or our separation from God. We don't understand that the reason our souls hurt is that there's a gap between God and us. And frankly then, this makes sense suddenly. If the Lord says to you, I'll close the gap if you um, bring me the best you've got, that can be in your place. Because that will make you understand how great the gap is and how merciful I am. So you know what? This is a great gig. You don't need to die, but bring me the best now, one of your cattle, one of your sheep, two of your birds that you've got. Bring them, and we'll call it even. That's great grace. Now, you may, you may think that that's odd, uh, cutting things up so that you can live and letting them die so you can go to heaven. It's probably not odder than a heart transplant where they cut somebody up so that you can live, carry on so you can go to heaven. See, we act like we don't understand this. 
but in fact we do. We send people to war in our place so that we can live. We understand this. If we're honest about it, we do understand it. This happens to us all the time. So this may not be as foreign as it looks to us. One, that the Lord would accept us, and two, he accepts us as the bill is paid. The Lord does not just wink at evil, and you and I should be glad that he doesn't. The Lord has standards. He doesn't just say, do whatever you want, believe whatever you want, as long as you're sincere, can't we just all get along? That is to capitulate to evil. Now, of course, you know, you know, I'm working from the presupposition that there is actually something called evil, and there is actually something called good. If you don't believe that, spend a week in my office. Because the reason people appear is because of evil. In all its different iterations, but nevertheless, they appear because of evil. So there is a way to close the gap. And there are several ways to close the gap. And one of them is you bring something extremely valuable and you let it be utterly obliterated. Okay? You get nothing back from it except your life. Okay? So first acceptance and then atonement. And that means somebody in your place. And then I give you the last thing, which is blessing and beauty which is something we tend uh, so little, uh, or, or too little perhaps, is a, is, a, is, a, is a less harsh way to say it. But in this morning when uh, the Lord says, I forgive you all your sins, that should send you out a different person. When the Lord once again closes the gap, you know, it's the sermon, when he forgives you seven times for the same old thing. That's, that's great stuff. And I think about, you know, last night, the, the teachers um, and staff did a bang-up job last night. And you start to think about what's the one thing they're trying to tell you with all of that. I mean, the one thing they're trying to tell you is to live within the gifts of God. To live within the beauty and the blessing which the Lord would have us do. It's very strange, as Christians, that we need to do an additional thing in order to remind us to live within the gift that we've been given. It's very strange, except that we read it all the time in the scripture. This is a daily offering. This is an offering that every day, morning and evening, there were public sacrifices. And this one, as I told you, was an individual sacrifice that you could bring on behalf of your family. If you've got a little extra trouble, I suppose this is sort of like going to the therapist. You know, billing it off to Blue Shield. Everybody is sort of like, you know, your normal health care. You take care of yourself. You eat right, run, do all those sorts of things. But there's a, from time to time, you need a little extra care. That's what's going on here. And to engage this. And sometimes we're too, you know, we think our, our, uh, our food all comes from the supermarket, you know, in plastic wrap. Uh, actually, there's one step before that, at least. You know, whoa. So, you know, uh, if we were all, you know, if, well, we would think differently about supper if we were all there as they were slaughtering the heifers, the steers, yeah? I mean, if you had, I remember as a kid, we used to, you know, you'd, you'd say, we'll have that one, and then they'd go to the packing house, and you'd have a meat freezer, and, you know, there were those big saws, and you're like, hey, they're not cutting through wood, and, uh, you know, in the back, Bruh. so, you know, you're, if we were forced to see that, we would think differently about our meal. You know, if you were forced to see this, you would think differently about your sins. It would impress on you how wide the gap is. It would impress on you that somebody needs to die. And it would impress on you 
how seriously you ought to take that. That the Lord has done a thing that has brought you back into blessing and beauty. That's a, that's a good deal. Um, let me take you to point nine then, if I may. Because I do want to get through the, the summary stuff today. If you turn to the page, uh, to, to, to page nine... There was, uh, and I've heard this comment more than once, it's popped up in Friday morning Bible study because we're reading Genesis, we're reading the Old Testament first, and then some of you it pops up with your friends, the suggestion that Christ isn't in the Old Testament. And I, I, you know, I've tried to give that speech, I've tried to give the anti-speech to that several times wherever I've been. Christ is all over the Old Testament if you have eyes to see. If you don't begin with the prejudice that he's not there, he's behind every rock and tree. And one of the places Christ is, is in this sacrifice. Here's how. I give you nine. And I would prefer, for your own good, if you can think this way as you read Leviticus. If you can ask yourself, this is so weird, Christ must be in here somewhere, I wonder where. Well, let me give you a suggestion. This whole notion of tenting. God tents among his people in the person of Christ, John 1.14. And the word became flesh, and, now he could have used all sorts of words, the word that the Lord, that, that, that the Lord gives to, the, to John to use is, and Jesus tented among us. And you should go, whoo, that's the, that's the tabernacle word from the Old Testament. What is, why did he pick that word? Well... Because the full deity of God dwells, once again, location, bodily in Christ. Go read through Colossians. The fullness of the deity dwells bodily in Christ. See, now things are getting put together. There's a location, Christ, and in that location is the full deity of God. Okay, the next thing. The glory of the triune God is veiled under that humanity. If you've got Jesus, you've got the Father and the Holy Spirit too. That's Mark 9, the transfiguration. Your Father speaks, the Spirit hovers, and Jesus is revealed for who he is. See? Or, again, wherever two or three are gathered in his name, Jesus is present. A Jesus you can't find is no good to you. There's no difference between having a God you can't find and no God at all. The only God that's any good to you is a God you can find when you need him. So God comes to earth in the person of Christ. He dwells there in that flesh and blood. Your salvation comes by being touched by the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. Just like your salvation comes through the touch of that blood. Uh, sometime, when you have nothing to do, go read at the end of Exodus, where they reread the covenant, 28, I think. And then they actually take the blood from the sacrifice. Instead of throwing it on the altar, they throw it on the people. You're all in, which is precisely what happens at the supper. That's an Old Testament holy supper. The blood splashes on the people, and it saves them. Or... At the, at the exodus, the blood is splashed on the doorpost and it saves. So, how is the gap going to be closed between us and the Lord? Only if God comes to us. Where does he come to us? In the person of Christ. 
What touches us in the person of Christ? His body and his blood. You know, his presence. And he then is our place of worship. It's actually not... We put it a different way. You can't think about us, the church, as the body of Christ, which is how we're spoken of in the New Testament, without thinking this way. That we are, in fact, incorporated into Christ's body. He then becomes our access. He's here with us. You see, here's the gap closing. This is Ephesians 2, you know, 17 through 22. You want access to the Father? It's through Christ. You know, he is our, our, he is our way into the Father's presence. And in fact, um, you know what, if we have time, actually, we should read this now because this is such cool stuff. Grab a Bible and spin to, uh, spin, I tell you what, you spin to, uh, spin to 1 Peter 3. I'm going to go back to Ephesians. I'll read something to you and then we'll go to 1. If you've got a Bible, Ephesians, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1, 2 Corinthians. Halfway through, we'll get you to Ephesians. And then a little, almost to the end, I'll get you to 1 Peter. And this is such great stuff. You know, who is, how do we have access? The, the answer is, ultimately, in Christ, who is our atonement. So Ephesians uh, 2, it's really, I'm, I'm going to read you from 17 just because it's fun. And he came and he preached peace to you who were far, far off and peace to those who were near. Anybody who needs access. People who are gapped, whether you're gapped a little bit or gapped a lot. He came and he preached peace, reconciliation. Not destruction, not, not killing you. For through Jesus, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we're no longer strangers, wanderers. But you all are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. You want to be part of the holy people? You bring your Leviticus offering in the morning. You want to be part of the holy people now? Your access is only through Christ, who was your offering that closed the gap. Okay, and the same thing in this uh, 1 Peter, if you keep going a little farther in your text, this 1 Peter 3.18 is great stuff. You know, 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ died for sins, killed him. He bled out till he was dead. Once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous. That's atonement, right? So he dies, why? For atonement, why? That he might bring us to God. That's acceptance. And this is Leviticus offering talk. It's the same stuff. Now, we're used to hearing it in the New Testament because we're so you know, immune to the bleeding and death of Jesus. This is you know, a good benefit of the passion of the Christ. It couldn't, have been, it couldn't have been too violent, given the stakes. Right? That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, making us alive in the Spirit. Okay? So he brings us near... And he says, uh, these are my new friends. Please love them. And the Father, in fact, does that. Anything just about that? Yes, please.
modern Jews don't seem to be practicing this kind of burnt offering on a regular basis, at least not that I'm aware of. Right. I don't know, it almost feels significant. That they don't do it, you mean? Yes. The question is, uh, she said, modern Jews don't seem to practice this sort of burnt offering, uh, and that seems to be significant. Um, there's at least a couple of things to say to that. It's a great question. Um, one is, um, there are Jews and there are Jews, right? And we all have friends who are Jewish sort of by, 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 uh, by lineage, and we all have friends, I suspect, who are, very, uh, are practicing Jews, and you ought to be very respectful of them. But the practicing Jews, you're right, do not proceed through this. Uh, and, and what's the answer? Does anybody know? Why don't, they, why don't they bring sacrifices anymore? Why not? I think the reason they say is because there's no temple. Exactly. There's no place to bring them. And, so they, uh, and, and you should let them answer for themselves. But the answer I most often get when I ask is, uh, there's no place to bring it. So the Lord's prescribed a place for us to do this. There's no longer a place for that to be done. And so we have to live in this time in between. And then now you have questions about what, are they Messianic Jews? What does a Messianic Jew mean? Is it, is it a person? Is it metaphorical speech? You have to ask those kinds of questions of your friends and see how they answer. But the normal answer is there's no place to do this anymore. And it would be curious to see if there was a place whether such a thing would still be done. Whether modern Jews would accept that notion, this sort of very bloody, uh, deathly sort of ritual to, uh, as a way of... Uh, but you know, there, there are things that they do still accept. For instance, the kosher laws, for example. They're very careful about how things are, are prepared and bled and uh, how animals are killed and treated and all that. So it's a great question. Uh, but you know, it's a little like asking, you, you want to be careful about speaking for all Jews the way you're careful about speaking for all Christians. So it's best just to ask them. But it is the, that's, the normal, that's the normal consequence. Thank you. Anything else? Can I press you then to this summary? So this is the new sheet for today. Does anybody need the new, the new bit? You know, I know this is weird. You know, I know that it's strange. But by the end of this time, however long we go, what I hope that is that Levit you'll own Leviticus, that it's going to be your book, and you'll under understand it as your heritage and your lineage. And you'll understand that because it speaks of Christ. Okay? And if you understand that, then all sorts of things in the New Testament will come alive. The incarnation, the access to God, the atonement, the joy with which Jesus presents you to his Father, the reason that your prayers are heard. All of that is because this gap has been closed, and for you to understand that that's not a nothing, that's a something, that Jesus' death actually mattered. So I start you, you know, four weeks in. I'm just going to try to kind of tamp down a little base for what we do going forward. I start you with where we started before. You are holy, or you will be holy, or you shall be holy, as I, the Lord your God, am holy. Leviticus 19.2. The point is holiness. The truth is, God's holy and you're not. And then this strange suggestion that somehow you are holy, and you ask how that happens. So... The Lord is holy. I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's the fact of the matter. Now, one way you can read this is, you shall be holy too. And if you're not, that'll be the end of you. The Lord is a dangerous man. But beyond that is the gift that the Lord really wants you, really cares about you, wants to have you back. 
And you remember that holiness is an action word in Scripture. So holiness has to do with action. So when we speak of holiness, something's actually going to happen. So the question is, God's holy, you're not. What's he going to do? And there are a few answers. One is he's going to make a place, this holy space where you can meet him, and that becomes the center of your life. And for you, what you all need to hear is that this place, and particularly that altar, is the center of your life. It was put in the middle of the camp, and everybody was round about it, and everybody visited it twice a day. You know, it'd be, it'd be an interesting sort of church if you all appeared here twice a day. It'd be a very interesting, you know, I'm, not, I'm not saying by force, if you, just, uh, if you all just appeared here twice a day, think how that would change our community together. Besides the fact that you'd be frustrated twice a day about parking. Besides that, you know, really, this is a little, you know, think how, if you all saw each other twice a day, and you were gathered not for the normalcies of life, but if you were gathered on the basis of, uh, yeah, it's 5 o'clock and I'm still a sinner. I hope that atonement comes soon because I'd like to go home pure to my wife and kids. If we had that sort of flesh and blood reminder that every day we were sinners and that Christ died for us, how would we be different? And if we were all in support of each other as that happened. And if we saw in this motion, this sacred ritual of killing things and making them alive, if we saw that, we, in fact, are made holy. This is point three. You will be holy. Participate in this, and you will be holy. Participate in this, and all is well. Here's a way for you to be saved. If we could see ritual as the assurance that all is well, this is why, and I know some of you have looked at me askance in the past, even to the point of craziness, when I've said to you, if anybody asks you why you're saved, the answer is, because Jesus baptized me. Because I've been drawn through a holy ritual in a holy place, and Jesus did it. Jesus closed the gap. If anybody asks you why you're saved, you say, because Jesus put his body and blood into me. Because Jesus accepts me at his altar. Because Jesus closes the gap. And see, that gives you an external certainty. This is the last point, but it is the point. To participate in a ritual where things are done with reverence, done properly, done thoroughly, done completely, where the Lord smells the aroma and says, it's all good. That, you see is absolute certainty for you. You can die in peace once you've been through the ritual. Not simply because you just made motions. You know, nobody believes that. Or at least nobody believes that without believing heresy. You know, we believe that something really happens. So uh, holiness is bestowed. That's what really happens. You know, and the Lord comes to you as a forgiving presence. But you always remember, and this is, this is the answer to people who, when I, I know that the opposite of my suggestion of this, you know, we're going to take this little kid in about half an hour, and we're going to put him in the water, and then we're going to say to his parents, all is well. He belongs to the Lord. You know, how can you say that? Because it's what the Lord asked us to do. Now, point five, I'm well aware 
that this can be done insincerely. I'm well aware that it can be rejected. I'm well aware that among the people of Israel, there were people who did not show up. There were families that didn't show up morning and evening. I'm aware of that. But that's another issue. One question is, does this save you? And the answer is, yes, it does. When you've been through this ritual, the gap is closed. You know, can you abuse it? Yes. Can you deflect it? Yes. Can you reject it? Yes. That doesn't mean it's not powerful. It simply means that God doesn't force you to be saved. So uh, it's not magic. This is the last thing under point number five. It's not magic or this old way of talking, ex opera operato. Just do it and then you're through it and it's all okay. No, no, it's not that. But when it is done as a confession, when it is done honestly, when it's done the way the Lord prescribes, then the Lord stands behind it because the Lord is doing it to you. And that's the reason you can die in peace. That's the reason you can be sure that you belong to the kingdom of God because God has done it, not you. Okay? And that's your only certainty. And then when you go, you know, you're, you're pushed out to a holy life. You come here, and then you're pushed out. And I give you, you know, this bit from 1st, 2nd Peter 3. There couldn't be anything more New Testament or Old Testament than this. What sort of persons ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? What should you do now? You're about to leave. In two minutes, everybody up and out. When you go in two minutes, what sort of person ought you to be? That's a New Testament quote, but it's a Leviticus quote too. When the animal was killed, when atonement was made, when acceptance was bestowed, when everything was beauty, people went home. And the question was, how do we live within that acceptance, within that beauty, within that joy? It's precisely the same question here. What sort of persons ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Why? Waiting for and hastening the coming day of the Lord. Because the world's going to end. And on the last day, there'll be ins and outs. And what the Lord prefer, prefers is that everybody's in and nobody is out. Because of which the heavens will be kindled, like the fire on the altar, and dissolved, like the sacrifice that's laid there, and the elements will melt with fire. Boom, and then it's all over. So you might play with that a bit, uh, but as you read next week, if you can read into Leviticus 2 and 3, uh, now things change a bit. Uh, things are not so complete. That is, everything is not destroyed. Uh, there'll be a bit more interaction. If you could have a read through that, even in its weirdness, and see if you can find Christ in that too, that would be best. So let's pray, and then you're off you go. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you very much.